this morning is from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 21, through chapter 6, verse 4. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior. Just as the church is subject to Christ... So also, wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word, so as to present the church to himself in splendor without a spot or wrinkle or anything of the kind, yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. Because Because we are are members members of of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I am applying it to Christ and the church. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself, and a wife should respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word, the word of, of God, God for the people, for the people of God. God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. God, we come into the uh, moment of reading some words today that immediately draw a reaction out of us. Raise questions. We pray that as we encounter your word today, both as we hear it from Ephesians, as we encounter it by living our lives with each other, and all the ways in which you will speak to us today, at the end of it, and because of it, we will find that our lives, our families, our faith, and the witness of this community might be strengthened and blessed. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. We come here this morning two weeks following the joy of a great Easter. Wonderful Easter celebration. We're like the disciples. We celebrated in song and energy and passion the resurrection of Christ our Lord. It's a great morning. It's a great Sunday. It's a great truth. And after we celebrated all of that Easter joy on that Easter morning, like those first disciples, we had to go home and discover that once we go home, it is there where our faith is often both blessed and tested 
the most. Maybe I'll reverse that equation. Have you ever found it to be true that somehow getting to church is some of the most unholy minutes of your family life? Have you, have you ever struggled with a family member getting to church on time? Getting them to wear what they should. Oh man, I just love, I wish you could see what I'm looking at right now. I mean, it's one thing if you're trying to get the kids out the door. It's another thing if you're trying to get your spouse out the door. It's another thing if you're trying to help get your parents coordinated. I mean, it can really be a test. You get to church to be forgiven for what you went through just to get to church. Can I get an amen? All right. Have you also ever found out that the minute you leave the church door, you re-enter right back into the static that was there before church began. Amen? I mean, it can even get as simple as a fight about now where we're we going to go eat. How are we going to spend the rest of this day? Or right back into the conversations, right back into the attitudes, right back into being family. times it feels like there's such a disconnect by what we talk about here and how we experience life once we get back into the family unit. Those first disciples experienced the same things. They left the resurrection joy and it says they went home. Can you imagine what that was like? Hey honey, guess what? Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Great. Do the dishes. Did you know that Johnny got expelled from school while you were hanging out there by the tomb all weekend? And all the issues of family life that you and I embrace today, in some form or fashion, they also dealt with in their culture and their time. They had to go back home and take care of their children. They had to take care of parents. They had to continue in their relationship with their spouses and their siblings and their aunts and their uncles and their cousins. They had to go back to work. In short, they had to go back to normal life. And those first few months, we discovered in the book of Acts, they were trying to figure out how they were going to live this faith, this resurrected faith in the context of relationships. And for a short while, they tried this. Let's all get together and live together. Let's share all that we have in common to take care of all who have need as they have any need that they have. They tried that for a short while. It didn't last. At least in part because they discovered that family units while they can find great support within the structure of the family of faith, have their own identity. We shouldn't live together. You like me better by not living with me. And I like you better, because I don't have to live with you. And as they went beyond the city of Jerusalem and began to expand the gospel across the world, 
He began to run into cultures and family structures and systems that were so radically different than theirs that they had to figure out how to relate this gospel, the risen Christ, to people who were working with very different understandings of who they were, what their families were about, and what it would mean if they followed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Which is why I think Paul writes here in Ephesians and in other letters that he wrote, instruction as to how a family is to live in faith. These words in Ephesians, some of which you just heard read to you, are words that most of us treat like radioactive waste. We want nothing to do with them. We don't want to go back to an earlier time. We think he has so little to say to us, it's relevant in any significant way. And part of that is because, quite frankly, churches throughout the ages have attempted at times to use the words of Paul to take us back to an earlier day. To make sure that women, you did revere your husbands, whether they were honorable or not. To put the man at the head of the household. And you and I both know that's disaster for some couples. And to make children honor parents who did not behave in honorable ways. And so we stay away from these words and say, well, they're too old, they're too out of context. But understand the context. Paul was writing in a patriarchal society, we know that. Men were assumed to be the leaders, the heads of the household. It was written in the law. And so in that time, in that place, for Paul to write that men were supposed to revere their wives as Christ loved the church and to sacrifice themselves for their wives in the way in which Christ did for the church was radical. A radical declaration that you don't get to be a power-wielding, dominant force in the life of your spouse, but rather one who nurtures and cares for and will do everything to make sure that they are loved and held in a state of holiness, not perfection and not chauvinist but to hope that they would experience the fullness of joy that God intends for them. In an era in which children were not supposed to have value apart from how they contributed to the family. Now, I want to spell something right now. First century people loved their children. Let's not act like they didn't. It's, it's almost ingrained within us to love those creatures that we create and that we adopt into our lives as our children. And so they loved their children. But children had value to the extent to which they contributed to the welfare of the family. And by and large, their feelings were not taken into account. Childhood meant something very different in the first century. It meant getting ready for adulthood. It meant working It meant practicing the things that you're going to do when you get to be older. It didn't mean playtime and hours of recreation and AAU basketball and the such. 
And so children were not valued or even concerned about how they were feeling. It was more about learning to be appropriate and to be a strong, contributing adult when the time came. So for Paul to say, parents, do not provoke your children to anger, is to acknowledge that children have feelings and they need to be taken into account. And you need to pay attention to how you're taking care of your children as it shapes not only their behavior, but their emotional and spiritual well-being. Raise them in Christ so that they can come to know the fullness of the joy of Christ within them. When Paul wrote these words, these were radical words to a world that needed instruction on how to live family life in the way in which Christ would want them to. I want to suggest to you today that we live in a world very similar. We live in a world that needs to hear a new declaration of how to live as Christians within the context of our family. Because we live in a culture which is counter to the way in which Christ talks about the kingdom of the world. I live in a world, I don't know about you, that continues to bombard me with the understanding that the purpose of my life is to get my needs and wants fulfilled. That my purpose in life is to maximize my potential by the values of the society around me. My earning potential, my popularity, my power... And to do that, it is often meant that therefore I'm willing to cut loose anything or anyone that keeps me from that. That, Am I making sense at all to you? That That I can't let you hold me back. Whether you are my parent, or my child, or my spouse, or anything. And I want to suggest to you it's time for us to have a conversation and a reflection on what it would mean to be a Christ-like family. What is it to be a Christian family? People have all kinds of weird notions about that. When we were in Chelsea, our girls were raised in that community. And, of course, I was pastor in one of the downtown churches, and I was there 12 years, so I'm, you know, I wasn't hidden, okay? Because I hide real well, as you can tell. So one of the kids in my, in a, I think it was Emily's class, came up to her one day and said to her, I think she was in late elementary, and they asked, said, Emily, do you guys have a Bible room? And she said, what's that? And this kid, inquiring innocently enough, assumed that because she was the pastor's child, there was a room in our house set aside for all the Bibles that we had. And you would walk into this holy Bible room and do, I don't know, Bible stuff, I guess. We don't have a Bible room. We don't have a prayer closet. It's funny how people think what Christian families are supposed to be like, preacher families or not. But what is it to be a Christian family? 
Is it that the man's the head of the household? Well, you know that's not true automatically. Is it that women are supposed to be subjected to men? There's no way in this pulpit I'm ever going to say that. Look behind me! And of course, I help set this up so you understand I'm actually very much clear that there should never be that kind of language or understanding. What is it to be a Christian family? Paul sets it up by his first phrase in this part of the scripture, Ephesians. Be reverent to each other. Submit yourself, dare I say, to each other as Christ did to the church. That is the most radical thing I could say to the contemporary world today. Enter into your family relationships with a total commitment to be sold out to each other. To care so much for what happens in the life of the other that you will do everything possible so far as it depends upon you that they might be fulfilled and blessed, and that we might continue to celebrate and honor this unique relationship we have together as family. In North Carolina, we have a phrase. You know how it is. You have people who are family and people who are the surrogate family, you know, the ones you wish were family, but they're not, so you just sort of adopt them. You know those, to make up for the family you wish you didn't have. You know what I'm talking about, right? In North Carolina, we call it this way. Either you're blood or you're not. And sometimes in the real serious conversations, you discover who's blood and who's not blood. You can get moved to the edge pretty fast when you're not blood. Well, there is a unique connection in in our family systems. And to the extent that we have the opportunity in our family systems to honor each other, to love each other, to support each other, and to seek that each one would be able to be fulfilled in the way in which Christ always intended them is what is distinctive about a Christian family. It's not measured in a Bible room. It's not measured by who ultimately gets to make this or that decision. It's about understanding that Paul was talking to people who had no cultural reference point to his own, so the only thing he could say was this, when you are living together in your family... Try to live with each other as Christ would live with you. So much that he would even be willing to die for you. So much so that Christ would not take time to walk around and say, well, that's a legitimate family and that's not. The thing that marks Jesus' ministry to me, me, which is so overwhelming, is he did not take time to eliminate people because they were not within the construct of what was normal. He embraced people as they were, where they were, and began to relate to them fully in a knowledge that he wanted to love them unconditionally. Examples, Samaritan woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery. He didn't judge either one. 
He knew everything about them and began to meet them as the persons they were in the situation they were in. The Roman centurion, a man of power and strength, who others would have rejected because he was, you know, one of those. Jesus received his request as equally as he would have anyone as a person. And any of the disciples, any one of the disciples, he would have been well justified to dismiss. And he said, I'm going to work with you where you are. In a culture that continues to add to the definition of family and say families now look almost entirely in a way which you can't define. Rather than have the church say, well, you're not a legitimate family and you're not a legitimate family. I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ says, if you think you're a family, let us treat you as a family. And in the context that you are in, let us honor you and help you learn how to nurture each other as Christ would nurture each other. Take all the barriers away apart from the way in which we honor and love each other. The church family for me is an example of how our family of faith should live. Our faith family should live. There are three ways in which you can care about your relationship in the church. One is what I get out of it for me. Every one of you in this room today is in this church to some extent because you get something from this church that you want. Right? And that's legitimate. That's fine. But there's also that need that we take care of everyone in the church. Which means that there are times in which what I want out of the church gets set aside for the larger good. Do you understand? Do you, you can't be quiet. I need your help today. Do you understand what I'm saying? So sometimes, you know, I really want this to happen. I really like it and prefer it when we do it this way. For the sake of the larger, we we change and we do things, and that's just what happens, right? Well, guess what? There's another group, not even here in the room today, and that's those folks out there. So the church is called to, in the name of Jesus Christ, to say, you know what, we exist for them. So at times, we're going to behave in ways that make my needs get set aside and our needs get set aside because we are here fundamentally to serve who? Them and God in all of those relationships. And it's a dance. And that's the joy of being a pastor in this kind of place. There are times I can make sure you get your needs met. And there are times I have to say, I'm sorry, but we've got to serve the larger And there are times we say to the larger community, we say, y'all have to stop for a second. This person's hurting, and we're going to stop for them. And all of those are okay. And none of those are legalistic. They're spiritual, they're relational, and they're guided by what Christ would have us do in any given moment. And sometimes we get it wrong, and sometimes we get it right, and we stay together as a family keep moving forward. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's what your family's called to be. There are times... When you need to get from your family what you need to get from your family. And your family needs to respond as Christ would want them to. And there are times you can't get what you want. Because they need this. They need you. So you set aside your personal agenda to care for them as Christ would. The relationships that we have within our family structures are so complex that for me to take time today to say, well, you all need to start behaving this way, 
cannot be assigned by roles, but rather by spirits. So I'm going to give you a homework assignment. The first one of which is, next week, come to church without fighting with each other. Let's start at the basics, okay? Let's just get there. Secondly, answer this question to yourself. What could you do? And I'm asking every one of you. I'm asking the eldest person in this room. I'm asking the youngest person in this room. What could you do in this coming week to honor and love your family? What could you do that would show to them that you love them enough to love them as Jesus Christ would love them? Lay down all of the stuff that you use to justify why you're not going to be the first one to do that. Had you been waiting for Christ to do that, we would never have had Easter. How are you going to honor and love your family, your spouse, your child, your parents, your whoever? How about this? Actually sit down and talk to each other about what you could do as a family to honor Christ this week. Do you know how often we as families don't talk about that? Have you this past week sat down with your family and however you define that and said, you know, what are we doing this week that's honoring Jesus Christ? My guess is most of us haven't, am I right? Might not be a bad conversation to have. How about this? What if this week, every day, oh, go risk it high. Go twice a day. Pray for every member of your family. Don't tell them about it. Don't run around and say, hey, Bill, Sandy's praying for you right now. But rather pray just by lifting each other up to God, praying for their health, praying for their protection, praying for their happiness, praying for their faithfulness. And no fair praying for God to get them to do what you think they ought to do. Throw that prayer out. What if this week, what if this week, just at least once, whoever they are and wherever they are, you did one thing to honor your children or your parents or your siblings. One thing out of the love of Christ just to share that with them. Paul's radical message to us today is not nearly as simple as how men should act and women should act and children should act and parents should act. It's far simpler and far more complex. As a family, love each other as Christ loves you. You want radical? You want happiness? You want a change day? Do this. Do this. And discover the blessing God is waiting to give.